Welcome to Multifamily AP 360, the show where we discuss 360-degree views on mindset, passive, and active multifamily investment. If you're looking for tips and strategies, or just want to learn from the experiences of others, both good and bad, then listen on. This is Multifamily AP 360 with your host, Ramakrishna Chunchu. The multifamily AP360 virtual summit is bringing together today's leading multifamily investors, professionals, and operators for three days of learning and networking on February 17, 1819. Use code AP15 at multifamilyap360.com to save 15% on your ticket. Hope to see you there. Today's our guest is Ruben from VLAN. Welcome, Ruben. Thank you, Rama. Pleasure to be here. Looking forward to it. Likewise. Thank you very much, Ruben. And a little bit about Ruben. With over a decade in the real estate industry, acquiring, flipping, developing, and financing over 500 million worth in real estate, Ruben has quickly become a renowned real estate expert, speaker, and guide for many professionals in the industry. The most successful time in Ruben's career was during the 2009 financial crisis. During this time, he bought, fixed, and sold deceased properties, which showed his determination in both bullish and bearish markets. After using private money financing himself, he quickly saw the innovation desperately needed in the private lending space and decided to spearhead it by co-founding Wheeling LLC. So with that, uh, Ruben, you want to add anything to your background? It's it's unreal. Are you sure you're talking about me? I I, I got to double check that. I mean, it, so much time has passed and so much success has been achieved. You know, I look back sometimes. I'm just super, super grateful for for what the world and God has given me. So uh, thank you so much for that, Rama. Look, I mean, I, I say this all the time I'm on, on almost every podcast that I'm on. We, we come from very, very humble beginnings. You know, we were immigrants to the U.S. in the 90s, kind of the wave of immigrants. And, you know, we, we lived in a one-bedroom, one-bathroom apartment with about 12 to 15 people. And to know, you know, the, the accomplishments that could be achieved in the United States of America, unlike any other country, um, is just purely unreal and amazing. And I'm super grateful for for all that that has been accomplished and looking forward to all to see all that could be accomplished in the future not only by me but also the generations to come because legacy is key awesome 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 thank you so you mentioned you survived and thrived in 2019 financial crisis would you share me like some best lessons you have learned from that yeah i think look in 2009, um, there was obviously a 2008, 2009, there was a little bit of a, a financial downturn. It kind of was caused by, you know, the financial world, right? Yeah, there were loans being made to borrowers that should have never been made, right? No consideration was given to the borrower's income, to the borrower's financial status. In fact, you know, we as private lenders today, in my humble opinion, I think we do more underwriting than say, you know, many of the other larger banks and institutions were doing back in 2008, right? You know, we go and do a deep dive into the borrower's credit. We want to make sure that they have upstanding credit. We look at their experience. We look at their, you know, financial status and, 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 and their, you know, whether they're high net worth or not. That was not done back in 2008 and 2009. Loans were given to borrowers. Well, like I said, it should have never been given. If you had a heartbeat and a photo ID, 
And, you know, the last four of your social security, not even the, the full nine, but the last four of your social security, you got yourself alone. So, you know, obviously that that turned, you know, things upside down in the sense that there was a lot of opportunity to buy real estate at a at really pennies on a dollar. You know, banks were foreclosing, unfortunately, on many, many homeowners. They were taking back properties that they were not equipped to to manage. And they were really just kind of unloading them as fast as they can. So we had the opportunity to buy, uh, well, not, well, originally we actually started as wholesaling, right? Because we didn't really have the liquidity to buy real estate. So originally for the first year or so, we were wholesaling properties. We had the ability to find, you know, financially and physically distressed properties. We were able to then find investors who were willing to invest into that property and, and do the renovations that were necessary. And then ultimately, we actually started buying real estate ourselves. Once we were able to build up the war chest, save every penny we were able to make, we started buying real estate. But you know, the one thing that I say that 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 I learned from that is I wish I knew how to manage or bring in investors like I do today. Right? You know, had I had I been able to kind of figure out how to syndicate deals, how to bring investors together and raise capital, I wouldn't have wholesaled you know most of the properties that I've wholesaled. Um, because I look back today, you know, these are properties and we're in New York. These are properties in Bed-Stuy, Brooklyn and Bushwick and, you know, really the, the the just different landscape of what it was back then. We were buying properties for $200,000. Those properties today are worth, you know, $2 million, $3 million. Um, So, you know, if I was to look back and the lessons that I would learn is try to figure out how to raise capital as fast as you can, manage the investors and put them all together. So it's worthwhile not only for them, but also for you. I think that's key. But the other point of, of what I learned is as a lender, it's it's very important that you're doing the right loans to the right borrowers at the right time with the right leverages, right? And that's that's what I've taken and resonated and it resonated with me till till this day. Because back then, like I said, it was just the wild, wild west. You know, the lenders were just cowboys. It's not, it was it's never the time as a lender to be a cowboy. Now is definitely not the time. So you know, what we're doing here on our end um, at Wheeland and States Capital is making sure that we're making the right loans conservatively leveraged to high net worth institutional grade borrowers. And that's that's key for, for not only us, but it should be key for every single lender out there. Awesome. awesome. So now uh, let's move towards, you know, our current, you know, focus area that, you know, Wheeland. So wh- why you started and share me the process and how it works. Yeah, so WeLend is a private lender. Um, you know, it's it's synonymous to a hard money lender. Essentially, we lend to uh, real estate operators and investors who are buying value add opportunities. Right, they're buying and finding physically and financially distressed properties, um, off market properties. They're negotiating them for you know discounted prices against the as is value. They're buying them, they're rehabbing them, repositioning them, and then they're ultimately either selling those properties in a very short period of time, or they're actually um, keeping them in a portfolio and refinancing them and just adding it to their legacy. Um, so we provide the short-term bridge financing for those investors. Um, most of our loans are for a period of 12 months. However, they're repaid usually within eight to 11 months. You know, we used to finance up to 90% of the purchase and 100% of the construction. But like I said, it's it now is not the time to be aggressive as a lender. So we're definitely reducing our leverages to be a bit more conservative to account for what's happening in the market today. So we still have the ability to go up to about 80, 85% of the purchase price, 100% of the construction. But for me to go up to 80 or 85% of the purchase price, I mean, the borrower just has to be stellar, right? They have to be a superstar in the sense of they have experience. Um, they're, they're high net worth, they're institutional grade with high credit, 
uh, standards and, and FICO. So for us right now, conservatism is key, uh, but we still want to make good loans to good borrowers. And that's been the focus since the day we started the company. Got it. Thank you. So what markets you're focusing and what kind of asset classes you're focusing? Yeah. So the asset classes, we love residential. We don't like anything retail. We don't like anything, you know, mixed use. I mean, we do mixed use, but we want to see the residential commodity be greater uh, than than the retail side. Uh, but we love residential because we just feel that we, you know, people will always need a roof over their head. Um, and on top of all that, there's just a huge supply deficit in terms of, you know, homes out there today. So, you know, for us, residential is key. Most of what we're doing is financing one to four unit uh, properties. Uh, we we have financed some multifamilies in the past, uh, but our really focus is on the one to four units. And the average loan size for us today is right around 380000 which is important because it caters to the median cost of housing, right? We don't want to go and lend against a $5 million acquisition somewhere in the Hamptons or anything to that effect. We're looking to lend against properties that we know are going to move quick. But outside of that, you know, our average borrower's net worth is right around $2.6 million. So it's important because our loan to this borrower would be right around $380,000. Meanwhile, their net worth is right around uh, $2.6 million. And in the event of anything going wrong or anything to that effect, you know, we know we're secure because the borrower just has a lot more to lose than they have to gain. Um, so, you know, catering to the residential, you know, single to four unit properties, um, you know, with average loan sizes of 380000 is has been our focus today. And which markets are focusing? Uh, so most of what we do is in New York and New Jersey only because that's just our backyard. But our focus is the Eastern Corridor. So we see loans in North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia, Florida. You know, we've done some loans in, in the Midwest, so it's Texas, you know, and so on. But most of what we do is really down the Eastern Corridor. New York, New Jersey is our hyper-focus because that's that's just our backyard. This is where we're based out of. And we know that if we have to take back a property, we don't know exactly what to do with it. Uh, but the Eastern Corridor is kind of like the general focus of where we're lending. Got it, got it. So what, what is your criteria, you know, filtering criteria for selecting buyers or the markets or sub-markets level? Yeah, I mean, look, really the experience is is important. The first thing that we always look at is the asset, right? We want to make sure that what we're lending against makes sense. So, you know, if we're offering the borrower 80% of the purchase and 100% of the construction, we never want to exceed 65% of the after repair value. Although today, the average uh, leverage against the after repair value is right around 57%. It's a very, very important metric because what that essentially means is that in the event there's a financial downturn, right, an economic downturn, and we see values depreciating by 20% or 25%, that still gives us a good cushion for us to be able to recuperate not only our principal, but also our investment. Um, so I would say that, you know, at this point, 55% is the average after repair value, uh, and that's important. Outside of that, the borrower is the next focus, right? We want to make sure that we're lending to institutional grade. And I know I said that a few times, but institutional grade, high net worth borrowers with experience. Now is not the time to be a new investor trying to test the market and see if you find success in real estate. I think you being, you know, a newbie, you, you're just, I think you're just prey in the water, right? Um, especially in today's market. But, and that's why our focus right now is experienced operators because we know that they know how to navigate an up and down market. And that's right now the focus is a potential down market. So, you know, experienced operators has been our focus. We want to lend to people that have done projects similar to what we're financing for them today. We don't want to lend to new investors. 
Um, outside of that, we also want to make sure that they have good credit and a good background history, right? So experience is very important, but their credit is also important. Today, our average FICO score for every borrower is right around 693. That's important, right? Because now we know that they're institutional grades. So in the event that they choose to not want to sell their property and they want to refinance their 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 property and hold it in their in their portfolio, we know that now they have a lot more options, being that they're high net worth and they have experience, and now they have 693 FICO or 700 FICO. So for us, really, the asset is the most important uh, viewpoint. And then secondly, is the borrower. So outside of their FICO score, outside of their experience, we also look at their background, right? We want to make sure that they don't have any bankruptcies that were filed in the past five years. We want to make sure they haven't been involved in any foreclosures or any kind of major lawsuits, or they're not in a current pending divorce or anything to that effect. You know, those those metrics are also very important. Got it. Awesome. Awesome. So how your company we lend different from uh, traditional lenders? So a number of ways. You know, a traditional lender, most of the time take, not most of the time, all the time, it just take a lot longer to close, right? You know, we pride ourselves in being able to fund and underwrite a loan within seven to 10 business days. If it's a returning borrower, we could actually fund as quick as 36 hours. Um, we've seen it happen. If the borrower is organized, they get us all the documents that we need. You know, we send an appraiser out there. Boom, within 36 hours, we could be at the closing table. So I would say the first and most important factor is speed. Secondly, a lot of our borrowers, being that they're really experienced operators, 89% of our borrowers are actually experienced operators. You know, most of them are not mortgageable in the sense that they don't have consistent income, right? They, you know, one year they have um, capital gains, next year they have, you know, other cash flows or what have you. So they're not really mortgageable. Um, And that's, that's another metric for, well, that's another key as to why they're coming to us. Another factor is the fact that the property just may not be mortgageable, right? You know, a lot of our properties, they are physically, physically distressed, right? Uh, We financed a property that was missing half of a roof, half of, you know, part of the house and stuff like that. Or there could be, you know, issues with non-paying tenants and there's just no access to the property. So for us, you know, we we lend on properties that are not really mortgageable. We lend to borrowers that may not have the consistency in the income. So as a result, they can't go to a Wells Fargo or what have you. And sometimes they may even have a blemish on their credit, right? So although our average FICO score is right around 693, but, you know, we have loans that that with FICO scores of 620, you know, at this moment, I don't think you can get a loan at, with with a FICO score of 620. So they use us to bridge, they they repair their credit. And then within, you know, eight to 11 months or 12 months when they're refinancing the loan, their credit has been improved and now they're able to refinance the loan. So I think that's one of the, a few reasons why a, an investor would want to use us versus, you know, a, a institutional lenders, because again, our speed and the type of loans that we do uh, to the type of borrowers. Got it. Got it. Thank you. <clears throat> So what's your take on current higher higher interest rates? How that is impacting your side, your company? So, you know, look, I think at some point I was fearful. Um, you know, I'll, I'll tell you one thing. I'm I'm always fearful. Um, I'm the pessimist kind of in the room. You know, I I I, I don't know if I mentioned this, but I'm also an attorney, um, although I don't practice and law school kind of shapes your brain to be a pessimist. Um, and I think in the beginning of it all, um, you know, I was really, really concerned as to what may or may not happen. You know, and then we obviously had a bunch of meetings internally where we've decided that we have to scale back, you know, our, 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 the type of loans that we make to the type of borrowers. We have to increase our credit standards and limit our underwriting into the type of loans that we make. 
Um, so, you know, from, from a perspective of what we're doing here internally, I feel comfortable and confident to say that we are secured. As far as what may happen externally, look, I think that there's definitely going to be some kind of, you know, financial, I, I would say, recession, right? I mean, I'm, I have CNBC playing almost every single time. You can't see it behind me. I have the Wheeland logo there. But nevertheless, I mean, recession, recession, recession is coming, right? It's it, That's all you're hearing on CNBC. So, you know, it's very, very important that you as a private investor, you know, depending on your appetite of risk, um, you know, you make sound investments. You know, many of our investors today that are investing alongside us into our fund are actually also real estate operators, developers, and investors, right? They're also syndicators and LPs in a bunch of syndications, but they just, their appetite it now is for a low risk, attractive return investment. And I think that's very important, just knowing where your appetite for risk is and making investments alongside that 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 type of risk grade. You know, here at States Capital, I want to confidently say the fact that, you know, we are a low risk type of investment with attractive returns. I mean, we're hitting double digit returns for our borrowers and that's for our investors rather. And that's that's very important because, you know, while we are making investments into real estate, we're making it from a debt perspective, right? We're always first lien position recorded against the real estate that we're lending on. In addition to that, we're just in a much, much safer part of the capital stack, meaning that before any of the equity partners on the investment are repaid, we as lenders are repaid first, which means that our investors and the debt fund are repaid as well. And I think with a market that we're seeing today, being a lender is far more secure than being an equity investor in a deal. Got it. So what, what are your typical fees there, are, you know, those kind of stuff? Yeah. Um, you mean on, on the uh, state's capital fund side? Yeah. Yes. So, so yeah, our investors, like I mentioned before, they're hitting double digit returns. Depending on their investment amount, we have class A and class B shares. You know, depending on their investment amount, we can hit, you know, we can we offer returns, uh, preferred return of anywhere between seven to 8% with either a 60% split above the preferred return or a 70% split above the preferred return. Again, depending on their investment um, amount. But outside of that, I mean, regardless of what category they fall into, you know, today, the average return to our investors is right around 10%. Um, with rates on the incline, I think that, you know, it's very, com- I'm very comfortable and confident to say that we're going to be hitting probably 12 uh, to, to 14% returns very soon because, you know, today our average rate, believe it or not, well, not our average, but our minimum rate right now is right around 11.75. I think next week, it's probably going to be above 12% if, if the feds keep, you know, increasing and raising their rates. Um, so, you know, with that said, our investors are able to hit double digit returns in a much safer part of the capital stack in a much safer part of an investment. Got it. Got it. Thank you. So would you share any of your best practices so far, best experience so far? Best experiences. Um, how, how far can I go back? <laughs> anything, anything, <laughs> you know, I, I gotta say we, we, till this day operate a family business. You know, my, my partners today are, is, is, are my cousins, right? And that's for us very, very important. You know, we not only work well together, but we respect one another. And I think that, you know, it's, it's not easy. Don't get me wrong. Um, running a family business is never easy, but if you can have that mutual respect, you know, to one another, I think that will make things just so much easier. So. Um, one of the lessons that I would have to say that I've taken in life is, you know, f- working with family is very important. It, it creates a bond. But outside of having, you know, family as as your partners, you know, what that also brings you is, 
working with family for so many years, every employee, every every team member, every investor that comes to join you, you know, you 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 learn to to treat them like family as well because you just don't know how to operate any other way or any differently. So, you know, one of the things that I'm very proud of is always always having the ability to work with family. And now that we've grown our company to, you know, the levels that we've grown it to, every single person here, whether they're an investor, an employee, or you know, an independent contractor, I mean, they're like family to us, and that that's something that I'm very very proud of. Yeah, definitely balancing that, you know, is uh, definitely challenging, and so you're doing that. <laughs> it is. <laughs> so, would you also share any challenging experiences? I think. Look, I think challenging experiences. There, there were many, right? Uh, like I mentioned earlier, I, I was six years old when I came to America in the '90s. You know, my 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 father and my mother. You know, God bless them both. They worked very, very hard. Um, my mother was a cleaning lady for many years. She was a babysitter for many kids. Um, she, you know, had double jobs working four or five hours a day. My father barely ever slept. You know, he was a yellow cab driver and then a, a limousine driver for many, many years. Um, I want to say that, you know, the challenges that I've experienced when I was a kid in, you know, being six years old, coming to America and seeing the experiences that my parents had to had to experience, you know, although I wasn't really directly involved because again, being a six-year-old boy, a 10-year-old boy, you don't really understand or see it. But I look back today and I just remember some of the things that my father did, you know, those challenges of what they experienced outside of the challenges that I experienced today on a daily basis. I think it's, it's not minimal compared to what they've experienced. I think their challenges have shaped me in so many different ways. Um, being an immigrant was not easy. You know, I was just remembering a story and I forgive me for even going into this, but I remember a story of when I was about, I think 12 or 13 years old, a friend of mine, he signed up for a, a football team, um, a small little league. And I remember him coming to my house and he was saying, you know, you should sign up, you should sign up. And I tell my dad, dad, you got to sign me up. I want to be a football player, NFL player when I grow up, you know, the whole nine. And my dad, you know, just said, son, you know, we can't do it right now. And he he never said why, right? But he just said, son, we can't do it. And I just kept pushing him and pushing him and pushing him until he said, yes, he gave me the money right then and there. The next day I, I signed up, but I look back now and I remembered, I'm like, okay, when he gave me that money, what did he do? Somehow, I don't know why this came to me, Rama, I'm not going to lie to you. But what he did right after he gave me the money is he actually put on his clothes, took his car keys and he went to work. And this was a couple of hours before he came back from work. And, you know, something like that, it, it, it brings tears, but also, you know, joy because you know that your parents loved you so much. They gave back so much for you. So those are the challenges that I had to experience. Those are the challenges that I will forever live with and I will never let that go. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. So any of your personal habits that are helping you to be successful? Personal habits. Um, Look, I, 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 I got to say, one of the things that shaped me in life is always being the hardest worker, right? Uh, working the hardest in the room, right? I may not be the smartest and 99% of the time, I'm not the brightest or smartest person in the room, but I am one of the hardest working people. I think one of the habits that I have is to be the first one in and the last one out. Um, you know, thankfully today, some of the people that we have joined me on the team, it's very challenging to be the first one in and the last one out because we just, we were able to hire some of the, some of the great, greatest minds and hardest working people here at Wheeland. So it's, it's been a challenge to compete with them on that level. But I could tell you one of the habits that I think will help any person 
um, in any business, in any venture is always being the hardest working person in the room. And I think regardless of whether you're the smartest or not, if you're the hardest working person in the room, it'll take you much further than anything. Awesome. Yeah. Any personal decision or learning that you took had created major impact in our life? You know, I got to say in 2008, um, I was, I was about I was 16, 17 years old, and I I was working as a loan officer at a mortgage brokerage uh, many years ago. And, you know, obviously with, with the financial crisis, things kind of turned around and, um, you know, many layoffs happened. And I remember sitting in my room in the kitchen, actually, and I was just kind of like almost in tears. And my father walked in and he said, son, what's going on? I'm like, dad, I got laid off. You know, I was doing very well for myself back then. I, I wasn't in high school. I dropped out um, at that time, but I ultimately went and got my GED. I went to uh, college, got my undergrad, graduated top of my class, and ultimately went to law school. So, just shows you how much how much we've grown. But nevertheless, and also graduated top of my class in law school. Um, I don't know how, but I guess being the hardest working person in a room um, is the way in which I did it. But nevertheless, back to the story of you know sitting in the kitchen. My father walks into the kitchen. He says, "Son, what's happening?" And I'm like, "Dad, you know, I got laid off." You know, I have maybe a couple of months worth of savings, uh, but I don't know what to do. Right. And that's when he kind of, you know, sat me down and said, all right, look, you you thank God you don't have a family today. You don't have kids or anything to that effect. You know, you could just pivot and maneuver and, and things will, 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 will pan out well. Uh, but what are you going to do if this is to happen in the future? Right. You're a high school dropout at the time. What are you going to do if that's to happen in the future? Um, when you have a family and you have kids and you have a you know dependents and and you have a mortgage and what have you. And I I, I said, I have no idea. I'll figure it out. He said, no, you need to put a layer of insurance on that. And I'm like, well, what's that? He said, go back to school, go become a lawyer, because you're just you have that in you. Um, so I gotta say that, you know, with with us, I think the lesson that I learned then is insurance is key, right? Whether it's in in your personal life or your business life. You always want to make sure that whatever decision you make, you can pivot from. Um, and that's something that we take with us, you know, not only in my personal life, but also here at WeLend and States Capital is whatever loan we make. And I, I don't know how I, I connected this, but whatever loan we make or whatever, whatever investment we make, we want to make sure that we have the ability to pivot and move out of it you know, unscathed. And I think that's that's important for anyone. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you. So any books that impacted your life? Oh, yeah. I, I got to I gotta give credit to the book authored by Dale Carnegie, uh, Carnegie, How to Make Friends and Influence People. I may have read that when I was a teenager and in, in my mid-20s uh, a number of times. And I got to say that that has shaped the way in which I view people, the, my relationships with people, uh, my relationships with you know, my significant other, my wife, my heart, my soul, my everything. Um, and I, I think that, you know, for anyone, whether you think you're, you know, a, a, a good social person, you're a good person in general, or what have you, I think that book can teach you a lot. Um, so I definitely, definitely recommend having to read that book a few times. Um, in addition, you know, I've I've read uh, Scaling Up, I forget the author's name, but Scaling Up was also an amazing book where it helped us you know, to scale the company that we've that we've scaled here at WeLend and do so in a very systematic and programmatic way where, you know, things are working on its own and autonomously. And I think that's also very, very important for any business person or entrepreneur. Awesome. Awesome. And how can listeners can connect with you, Ruben? Yeah, they we're on all major social media platforms, including TikTok. And I say this all the time, uh, jokingly, of course, but we are on TikTok. 
Uh, we make some of those silly videos out there. Um, so our handle is at WeLendLLC. Um, you could also visit us on our web, WeLendLLC.com. Um, also, that's that's the originator, the, the private lending platform. The debt side, uh, where we're actually raising capital for, from investors, is StatesCap.com. Um, they could also shoot me an email at Ruben at WeLendLLC.com or call me directly at my cell, 917-815-1222. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you very much, Ruben. I uh, really enjoyed the conversation and thank you for sharing your expertise and lessons learned. Thank you, Rama. Thank you. That's the end of this episode of Multifamily AP 360, but we'd love to continue to help you on your journey. Head to ushacapital.com slash podcast to join our email list for more tips and strategies. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. This is Multifamily AP 360 with Ramakrishna Chunchu. We'll see you next time.